This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome all our Torah Anytime uh, viewers. So tonight we are continuing with the second class of the found of the reward and punishment location. Everyone is invited to join us every Thursday at BJX at 1601 Quentin Road. That's the right address, right? Okay. Um, uh, every woman is invited. To, uh, you figure out how many times I say this. I still can't get it right. Okay. So tonight we're doing, we're continuing. Last week, last, well, last time we recorded, which was two weeks ago, we spoke about the, the reward and punishment. We actually are going to break this up into three classes. I was originally planning on doing this on one, but for some, for some reason, God wanted it to be into three. And why I say God wanted it to be into three is because last week we had a different, uh, last time we were here, we had a different group that was coming in, and then we had to end early. And this week, I was like, you know what, I'm going to speak about this particular uh, you know, subject. And uh, next week, we're going to speak about, it. we're going to break it up, the reward and punishment, to these uh, three, different, uh, three different classes. It is a very, very important subject. What? <clears throat> I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Oh, but first I have to make an announcement. So, two weeks ago when we were here, I may or may have not gone on a tangent on an airline that may or may not rhyme with <laughs> Shell Al. <laughs> no. But apparently they heard my, my, uh, my, my class. I did fly in hell out. So I was going, so last, well, you know what? Whoever didn't listen, just go listen to last week's class. Um, whatever. I, 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 uh, it was a therapeutic class for me. Let's just say that. So I'm waiting on online in, you know, in the airport, in JFK. Right? I'm waiting, I'm waiting over there and my suitcase may or may not be very much overweight, right? Um, and I'm, I'm thinking about it, and as I'm waiting on the line, I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I just spoke about, la- like a few days ago, I just gave a whole class on what and how what they do with the overweight and how they may or may not rhyme with something called schmazis. You know, like, it was a situation. And in my mind, I'm like, this is it. So I'm like, I did tshuva in, over there. And then I'm thinking, and I'm like, like this, I was, I was like, I was a body overweight. Like, I was overweight. Um, and, and I'm like... I'm like, so, so I see my wife was standing in front of me, and I see she starts to, saying to Helene. And I'm like, okay, you know what? That's a sign for me. She didn't even say anything to me. I just see her, you know, starting to mumble under her breath. Um, either Tehilim or it was a curse, but she doesn't know any curses. So uh, it was Tehilim. So um, I'm going over there, and I'm thinking, so what is a Jew supposed to do when you're in a situation like this? You say Tehilim, but there's also a very, very good school to know that if you're ever in this airline, or if you're ever, something always good to know if you're ever in a situation, is there's three words you repeat to yourself. You think to yourself, en od milvado. There is nothing other than God. There's only God, and if it's supposed to be over, it's going to be overweighted. The last thing that I wanted is for them to take. I have to take off my, my suitcase. I have to unravel this, you know, the you know the zipper. Open it up. Everybody, please gather. Please gather so you can see everything that I have packed. Uh, you know, and it's just the last thing that the headache that I want. So I'm like, okay, God, I don't know what I know what I know. You know, and my wife is saying, and we get on over there. And to the courtesy that I have to the. To the to the Shmel Al, you know, airline. Um, it really was, un- it was a, gr- it probably was my best experience ever. They were like, please make sure next time you're not so overweight because this is really, really bad. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you. <laughs> like, like, you know, like, like, we have a round of applause over here. Like, this is unbelievable. Like, I've flown many, many times, you know, to Israel. And then, what? Did you just let it go? 
they, with God's mercy, they just let it go. So, yeah. So with the, so last week we went. On, so I had to start off like when I was thinking about it, like they let it go because I went on such an tangent last week. I have to give a hakaratatov, a thank you um, to the to. And now I have to say their name. You know, like I'm sure you guys couldn't figure it out what it was, but I have to say a, a very very big thank you to the El Al, uh, you know, community. A clap, a round of applause for El Al. It happens to be. It happens to be that when you're flying and uh, you know an LL and you flew flew on any other airline, or you, if you flew enough, you see a difference in security. You really see a difference in security. You go over there, you know, there's somebody comes up and he's like, "Hello, my name is Yossi. I am going to be the security guy checking in." It's just a random Israeli guy just like walking through the aisles, like eyeballs you, be like, "Passport, please," you know. And you give him the passport, and he go, and me and my wife are giving him, and the questions that he asks, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm not sure. I'm like, I, I packed my own suitcase. You know, like, I know I... Did anybody... They give all the regular stuff. Did anybody go in there? And then they ask you some personal questions, right? They come with a little tissue box and be like, you know, like the therapist all of a sudden. And you're like, you know, when did your mother stop loving you? I'd be like, what? <laughs> like, that never happened. No, I, I, my mother always loves me. Have a tissue, have a tissue. You know, like, like thank you, Yossi. You know, like, and, and, you know, like over there. It happens to be the guy that actually... His name was, was Yossi. You know, like... <laughs> So, um, but the, 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 when you're going on over there, and the, obviously only God protects, but the questions that they ask and the, the level of security that they have, it's, it's really something. Like, you know, I, I flew with, with many other airlines. When you fly with Allah, you really do feel like a sense of, you know, of security. If someone's really tanned, like, you're going to get pulled over for a random check. It's fine. You know, like, I'm totally fine with that, you know, you know with that. But in any case, so a shout out to, uh, uh, I guess this class of reward and punishment is going to shout out to El Al, um, which technically does teach you that whenever you fly, it's always about reward and punishment. Are you going to be sitting next to a person who is 350 pounds, or are you going to have an empty sit next to you? Are you going to sit in the newer planes, which have some leg rooms, or the older planes, which basically every time the person sneezes in front of you, two rows, you feel it, right? There's a little vibration that's going on, right? So it's all, it's all based on God. It's all based on reward and punishment. Okay. So now, with that uh, useless introduction, let us continue to the topic at hand of reward and, and punishment. So, the foundation of Judaism, one of the main foundations of Judaism is that you get reward for the good deeds that you do, and you get punished for the bad things that you, that you do, or for the not good things that you're supposed to do you know, as well. So, meaning that if you are supposed to do a good deed, if you had a positive commandment that you were supposed to do, and you didn't do that, that's also a violation of the command. You also have to do tshuva for that. So, for example, there is a positive commandment of a man to put on tefillin. So, one would might think, okay, if I didn't put on tefillin, then maybe all I did was I just didn't get the reward. No, 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 no. There is something that you have to actually do tshuva for that. You have to actually do repentance on that, uh, for the fact that you didn't do a positive, a positive commandment. Now, when, when dealing with reward and punishment, people think, you know, that they do something good, and now all of a sudden, God owes them. Have you ever known anybody? You ever had a friend who thought like this? Right? It's always a friend. Yeah. Um, and it's like, okay, wait a minute, I just did this and this. God owes me. Like, of course I'm going to find. My shiduch is going to be knocking on the door. I'd be like, he's going to be coming in shining armor. 
and there's going to be a 14 carat real diamond um, of one carat with 14 carats along there because I love carats. And he's going to go in there and he's going to be like, Will you know, like, I have only dreamed about meeting you, and he's going to give you a whole, like, you know, a spiel, and everything's going to be beautiful, and then the doves are going to, doves are going to fly out, roses are going to sprout from the ground, and he's going to take off his armor, he's going to be wearing a suit with a little white flower over there, and he's going to say, will you please marry me? And you, of course, say you're crazy, and you'll slam the door because I've never met you before. But thinking about the fairy tale land, right? Like, this is what you expect when you do something good. Like, all of a sudden, God is going to just bestow upon me all this goodness and greatness and that I deserve. The way that it works is that when God goes and, and gives you life, that is, there's nothing that you can do to deserve that. You can't say, okay, well, I did so much great now, now God owes me. Just the fact that God gave you the fact, the ability to, to be alive in this world, that automatically does, there's nothing that God owes you. That's it. Like everything that you do, God out of his own kindness, out of his own mercy is going to go and pay you for the good things that you did. But it's not because you deserve it and you earned it because you're a good person. It's like somebody that you save their life and then you give them panasa and then you set them up with a shiduk and then you help their children and you do everything for them from A to Z and then you ask them if uh, they could just change your light bulb. And they go to change your light bulb and then they're going to give you a little, uh, a little receipt. Be like, okay, you owe me some money for. Are you kidding me? Like, I gave you everything. I'm going to pay you for for going and, and and turning in a you know a light bulb. So the same thing with God. When we're dealing with reward and punishment, it's not because we deserve it and we earn it. That's all based on God's mercy. The question that is asked is, why isn't it that the Torah doesn't speak about reward openly? You ever think about that? Where does the Torah speak about olam haba? Where does the Torah speak about Gan Eden? Where does the Torah speak about when we die after 120, we're going to have a fabulous time. It's going to be amazing. Where does it speak about that? And the answer is it doesn't. Now why not? Why doesn't the Torah go and speak about these things openly? So, before we get to the Rambam's answer, Ramani's answer, the Pachshat B'chukotai does say something. It says that if you follow God's commandments, if you follow this, then you will have good. If you don't follow God's commandments, then it's going to be very difficult and very bad for you. However, says the Rambam, that's not referring to reward. That's expenses. So let's say that you're a business owner and you have a few salesmen out in the field and each of these salesmen has a company credit card. You'll review the bills at the end of the month. One bill for one month is $100,000 for one salesman. Another salesman has a bill for $10,000. You're going to have to fire one person. Who are you going to fire? Or are you going to go and search, ask other questions? Okay, no one knows here anybody. Well, I don't get it. So you have... Spend their, money. They, they spent money on their own personal stuff? No, on the the, on, it's a company card. No one knows, right? You're going to ask questions. What is the, what, before you ask questions, you're going to also look at something. What are you going to look at? Not what they spend on, because who cares what they spend on, but what they brought in. So let's say somebody went and spent a hundred grand on the company, on the company card, but he brought in net revenue of a million dollars. So you're going to say, hey, listen, you know, what did you do, you do that for? No, he wined and dined, whatever it is that he did it. It doesn't matter. 
he's worth it. He actually spent the money, but he actually brought in a lot of more revenue. But let's say you have another guy, another salesman, that spent 10 grand on that same monthly you know, you know, credit card, but he brought in zero dollars, or he lost clients, you know, on his, whatever it is, right? Shlomaz, right? Shlomiel, whatever it is, he lost, he lost you know, money on it. So the, who are you, what are you going to do? Before you go, it doesn't matter the amount of money that they spent. It matters the amount of money that they brought in. If the amount of money brought in actually makes sense and it, you know, it, it correlates to what they you know, spent out, then you're like, okay, that's awesome. Not only do you don't penalize them for spending $100,000, you give them a bonus because you did a great job. But for another person that spent even less money, so that you, but you didn't gain anything from it. You didn't, there's no tachlis over here. You didn't bring anything in. Because of that, that you're going to have to come out of your paycheck, blah, 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 anything else or, or fire or, or so on and so forth. So, when God goes and God bestows goodness upon us, this is not a reward for our good deeds that we did. This is an expense for the amount of money that we need to, the amount of things that we need to do. So, if you're going and you're accomplishing a lot spiritually, then when God is reviewing, you know, the debit and the credit, who's here as an accountant? Nobody's an accountant? Who here wants to be an accountant? Who here is going to marry an accountant? I'm just kidding. Okay, so when, when you're going and when you're, when, you, when you're reviewing the debits and the credits and what you spent and what you got, it all depends on what you brought in and what you took out. So God is going to say, okay, listen, you went and you enjoyed this world. You did so many things, but what did you bring in? Did you make blessings on the things that I get, you enjoyed on? Did you go and you give charity of all the money that I gave you? Did you go and you spend your free time? What did you spend your free time? Did you learn a little bit? Did you listen to Shulim? Did you come on Thursday nights to classes in BJX? Or did you go to... Uh, you know, places of impurities and places of things that are that are not good to go. So it all depends on what you did. If you show that you're doing good, then God says, okay, listen, I'm going to keep you on the company. You're doing great. You're doing amazing. Here's more. Here's a bonus. Here's going to have some, some extra money. Here you're going to have some extra time in your life. Here you're going to have some extra health and so on and so forth. So when... When you're looking at reward in this world, reward doesn't happen in this world. Reward, if someone does get reward in this world, let's say the righteous people, that's, that's, you think about it, that, that doesn't deduct from what they're getting in the next world. This is something of like, uh, uh, they're getting interest on their good deeds. You know, it's like a free, you know, free gift so that they can do more good on this world. However, the wicked people. What about the wicked people? You see wicked people. Very famous, very famous question. What do you do when you go and you have this question presented to you? Oh, look at this wicked person. He is going and he goes against the Torah. He goes against everything. And look, he's po- prospering so much. He's, he's so successful in everything that he does. So there's a Pesuk in Devarim, in chapter 7, verse 10. It says, Umishalem lesanav el panav lahavido. God goes and pays the wicked in their face to destroy them. What does that mean? Says Rashi, that God pays them for the good deed that, deeds that they did in this world. So in the next world, they have nothing. So sometimes you have wicked people that are prospering in this world, but God rewards them in this world. Righteous people, God doesn't reward them in this world. They could get reward in this world, but that doesn't come out from the reward in the, you know, in the next world. So when, when you're dealing with reward and punishment, there is a very, very interesting concept that when you deal with reward and punishment than any other of the 13 principles of faith. When you're dealing with the reward and punishment, if someone, let's say, does not believe in reward and punishment. So we know if, let's say, someone doesn't believe in God, no share in the world to come. Someone doesn't believe in the Torah, no share in the world to come. What happens if someone does not believe in reward and punishment? Do they lose their share in the world to come? And the answer is they don't. The question is why? It's so important, by the way, how important is reward and punishment that the Rambam put, takes it, 13 principles, the 13 foundations of faith, right? And it gives 13, right? This is what we were speaking about for the past, uh, you know, Weeks and you know through the space that we had, we we took a little break from from uh, Pesach to Shavuot. But we were speaking about this so much that we know that converts they want to convert. They need to know this. Uh, people just this is the basis of Judaism. 
The Rambam put this in 13 different you know, foundations. Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Abo in the Sefer HaIkarim takes us and brings us into three. Out of those three, one of those three are reward and punishment. That's how important reward and punishment is. Yet for some reason, that if someone does not believe in reward and punishment, no problem. You still have a share of the world to come. The question is why? If it's so important, if it's so fundamental to Judaism, why isn't it that if someone doesn't believe in it, doesn't he lose his share in the world to come? And the answer is, yeah. So, what you said, I don't know if you realize how deep the things that you said. There, there's so many layers that I could break, which you're, you're right, you're 100% right. First of all, there's somebody who could not even know about the concept of reward and punishment. And there's somebody who could, and this is where I think what you were talking about, there's somebody else who it all depends on their circumstances. Every, every circumstance is different, depending on the, the reward, depending on your upbringing, depending on so many different fa- facets that come into, in, you know, in, into play when you're dealing with reward and punishment. What you said was 100% true. Everything was, you know, what, you know, was, was correct. But what, what is, what is very unfortunately misunderstood nowadays, and the truth is it's not only nowadays, in all days, is that when you have somebody who doesn't know something about Judaism, so in a sense you could say, Tinnik Shanishba. Tinnik Shanishba means, it's a, it's a soul that never knew. Right. Uh, this is when I was, you know, you know, on, on, you know, the airplane, and you see all these Jewish people, or they claim they're Jews to get a free birthright trip. I don't know. I, I'm not going into that. Right. But they're, 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 they have all these things that would know nothing about Judaism, nothing about Judaism. Um, and so you say, we well, can you blame them? Like they, they really don't know anything. They don't know the beginning of it. So you can't really blame them. They're known as a tinok shenishba. Again, we're not going to get into the, you know, the topic, you know, of it. As opposed to somebody else who knew the foundation of everything and decided to go against it. So obviously, the reward and punishment only God knows in the depths of how, you know, how it's going to, uh, you know, it's going to, how it's going to break down. But the bottom line is, is that if somebody just opens their eyes, their nose, the way that this world works, is it mimics the way that the next world works. So the way that this world works is the reward and punishment. For example, you want to make money, you have to work. So if you work, you make money, and then you can spend it whatever you want. But let's say you don't, you don't work, and you're going to go and you're going to go steal. And be like, well, I never knew that I wasn't allowed to steal. Could, would that float in court? Of course not. I'd be like, are you kidding me? What would you expect if you want to go and you want to, you want to buy a nice dress, a nice, uh, you know, piece of jewelry, a nice wash, whatever it is, you have to pay for it. You cannot just take it. Some things are common sense. So the same thing in the next world. You cannot just go into the next world and say like, well, I just thought I'll, everything will be okay. Like, you know, so even though there is a truth, to the fact that you'll, you, there's some people that don't know, but at the same point in time, there's a, there's, there has to be some common sense. And people have to think about life. The, the really, the biggest problem is, and this is, by the way, this is a problem, not for, not for non-religious people only, for religious and non-religious at all. People go through life without thinking. People go through life just like going through the motions without taking a second to be like, wait a minute, what am I supposed to be doing over here? What is the correct thing for me to do? The scariest thing is that when people are dating, for example, you're making one of the biggest decisions of your life. How do you not think? How do you not say, okay, wait, is this the right decision? Is this what I'm, you know, this I'm supposed to do? You know, I have people that speak to me regarding their dating life, regarding their married life, and I'm like, I, you know, like, I applaud these type of people. These are people that are like, okay, they, they're thinking. They say, okay, listen, there's something that I need to ask. This doesn't make sense. Maybe I need to get some guidance over here. That's good. That's what you're doing. But there's some people, like, eh, just go with it. 
You know, like, oh, it's great. And then, they, and then they get into a situation and then they start complaining. Like, you have to think in life. In life, you really, really have to think. At the end of the day, the truth is everything is from God. But we have to do our ishtadlut. But in any case... So, which is, which is a great point. So let me repeat that, because that, that, that is a great point. Let's say someone was created a certain way. Uh, so you use the example of emotional, um, and, and it's not instability, it's emotional um, heightness. Like, like emotional, everything is very, very emotional. So you have some woman that, and it could be some men also, it's not only you know, associated with just women, that are very, very emotionally you know, on steroids. They're like, always like, you know, like someone looks at them and they're like, you know, my soulmate just saw me today, you know, like, and then you have the, yeah, you have her best friend who, you know, has the emotional stability level of a three-year-old. See, someone looked at him and they're like, that piece of, you know, lovely person, you know, whatever it is, another bunch of other, you know, nice words that, that, that come out of him. So you have two people seeing the same thing and they each come out of a different thing based on their emotional upbringing. Now, we could use an example of that book, for example, that book regarding anger. So let's say somebody's born angry. Someone's born in extreme anger, you know, be like, is it his fault that he was born this way? He's an angry person. They're like, you know, no, yeah, just because you're born a certain way doesn't mean that you're absolved from, you know, societal rules. Like, you have to follow, you still have to, so if an angry person was born an angry person, it doesn't give an excuse to be angry. So the same thing with emotions. If someone's too emotional, then it's something they need to work on. Not saying that it's bad, it could be, it's good. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. It all God takes everything into account. We're not God's accountant. We cannot say you're going to get punished for this and you're going to get rewarded for this. It's only in God's hands. What we could say is the Torah says this, and if you don't follow it, you're going to get punished. The level of the punishment that's all in God's head. But what we could know is it, there's no there's there's no one who could say, "Listen, I'm absolved because I am born X, Y, and Z." No, no. no. The Torah says we can't say that because. It, Regardless of your conscious level, it doesn't matter. Whatever the Torah says stands as something that is stands beyond time, beyond your emotions, beyond your intellect, beyond anything else. It's as simple as A plus B equals C. Whatever it is, obviously that doesn't you know make sense. But you know, it's as simple as one plus one equals two. It, but how you plug it in and what you deal with and all your upbringing that God deals with that that is in God's hands. So now we ask the question that God that that uh, the question is why isn't that if you don't believe in reward and punishment do you not lose your share in the world to come? So the Rambam Maimonides goes and says that if someone does something, let's say someone's a good person. And they do something, not because the Torah says that it's good, and not because it's, but they're going to get reward from it. Now, I should actually rephrase that. That they're doing something because they know the Torah says that they need to do it. So, are you going to punish them because they don't believe in reward and punishment? They're doing something good. In fact, they're doing something that is inherently good. And this is what the Rambam says. What the, does that mean that they're doing something? They're doing something because of... Meaning that they're doing something that the Torah, the Torah says to keep Shabbat. So they keep Shabbat, and they reward or not reward, they're doing it because they need to do it. They're doing it because they know this is the right thing to do. So says the Rambam, are you going to punish them now because they're doing something for the right reasons? 
uh, but they just don't know that there's a reward and punishment? Of course not. So that is why the Rambam says that you don't get you don't get punished if you don't believe in reward and punishment. If you're doing something because it's inherently good and you're not doing something because it's inherently evil, that's the right way to do. It. And in fact, this is the highest level to do it. The rabbis, there, there are many many stories of the rabbis, the Vilna Gaon. There's a story about the Vilna Gaon that uh, one time there was no etogim, there was no there was there was no etogim on Sukkot, and there was one passerby that had a lulav and a talk. And the students of the building one says, okay, listen, bring it to the rabbi, let the rabbi have at least a, a, a talk for the holiday. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have an talk. So the guy wasn't willing. Unless, on the condition was that he will give it to the rabbi if the rabbi gives him, sells him off his reward for using the, the mitzvah of love and a talk. Meaning that he's not willing to part with his talk. He says, I'll give it to him on one condition that he gives me his reward. That's a whole question you're allowed to do. That. Now, you ever hear of this, the guy a few years ago on eBay wanted to sell his share in the world to come? You ever see? You ever heard of that? Yeah, there was a guy. It went. It started off, I think, as 99 cents. It went to like 100 grand. But the, there's a question. There's a lucky question. Can you sell your reward to the you know your share in the world to come? So, so uh, we're not going to get into that. But it's an interesting, interesting concept. Right, 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 right. I think Mr. Shachar, what does he say? Say, you know, don't serve your master on the, on the, to get reward. Rather, serve your master because it's correct. That's the highest level. That is the highest level. So the, the villain going in this story, he goes and he hears that he's willing to sell, you know, somebody wants to buy his reward. He's like, of course I'll do it. And he was so happy and excited to do that. So the students were asking, why are you so happy and excited to sell your reward for the mitzvah, the good commandment, the good deed that you're going to do for on Sukkot? So he said, the, the real purpose is to do things because they're right. He says, every other good deed that I did was I was doing it because I knew I was getting a reward for it. Here is something that I could do 100% for God. Nothing to do with me. I'm not getting a reward for it. He says, that is the highest level of serving God. He says, how could I not be so happy and excited? So he was even more happier and more excited to do a good deed that he's not getting a reward for it than rather than doing a good deed that he does get a reward for it. But that is, so that is one answer. That is one answer saying that, that we do things for the right reason doesn't mean that you're going to get punished for it because you didn't believe in the reward and punishment. However, there is still a very, very interesting question that is asked, and it's brought down also in the Kuzali, that many, if not all, other religions, they speak about the next world. If you're going to come into my religion, then you're going to have 72 virgin cows, right? So you're going to have like ama- you're going to have amazing, amazing reward. And it goes on and on. Every religion says what's going to be in the next world. If you're going to believe in the Messiah, then blah, 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 right? If you're going to do this, then you're going to have all, in- and it goes on to speak about it in the journey. But how come the Torah doesn't speak about it? How come the Torah is the only, and this is in fact one of the questions that the, the Kuzri, you guys are familiar with the Kuzri? So the Kuzri was a, was a, um, it was a country that um, the king want, was looking for which religion to to like you know put in for his entire for his entire country. So he invited the three uh, you know biggest religions at the time, the monotheistic religions. He invited Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, and each one gave their own you know their own thought, whatever the you know the, the ideas. But he was asking. He said he goes over to the to the rabbi who's representing Judaism. He says, "I don't understand." He says, "Islam, Christianity, they all tell me what's going to be in the world to come." He says, "Why don't you say anything? What's going to be in the world to come?" The truth is that the Torah does speak through hints in the world to come. Meaning it that... It starts off by saying that's what you speak about Al-Khaba and... and where, the, where the Torah speaks? Al-Khaba speaks about Gan Eden. It doesn't speak about reward for good deeds that you do that's going to be there. Oh, what happened when you did something bad? You got oh, punished. yeah, so you got punished. What happens to a woman in the future? But if they do something bad, they get rewarded. Where does it say that they get rewarded? Yeah. Punishment does, but reward doesn't speak about it. In the next world. Reward specifically in the next world I'm talking about. Not in this world. Meaning, where does it say that if you follow the Torah, you're going to get rewarded in the next world for it? Well, reward would be 
Okay, so you're inferring something, which is true, but why wouldn't it say straight out? Why wouldn't the question is why doesn't it say straight out? All the other religions, cults, say it straight out. Why doesn't Judaism do it? Oh, you want to say it infers it? You're right. It hints it? You're right. It says it even in the oral law? You're right. But why doesn't it say it in the written law? Why? And in fact, it does, even in the, in the oral law, in the written law, I'm sorry, it says, for example, if someone doesn't keep Shabbat, the, the, the soul gets cut off. Meaning that it gets cut off from what? From the next world. Meaning that there is a next world. So if you're getting punished from the next world, meaning that there is a benefit, just like you said. Just like there's a negative side, there's also a positive side. But why do we got to go through all these hints and circles? Let it just say it straight out, just like all the other religions. So that is, uh, that, you know, that is the question. Why does it say it uh, you know, openly? So Rabbi Huda Levi in the Kuzuri goes and explains like this. And he says that when somebody goes and wants to make a prediction, wants to try, let's say someone's bringing up a new religion. They're making up a new religion, keyword making up a new religion. They're not going to give you a prophecy that you could check them. They're not going to say, okay, listen, in five years time, X, Y, Z is going to happen. Because when in five years time, X, Y, and Z does not happen, you're in the hole. And now no one's going to follow you anymore. So it's very easy to make predictions and make claims about the next world. After you die and you smoke this pipe and you wear a long feather hat, you're going to go into this and you're going to become a wolf and then there's going to be, you know, you know, eagle brother and then the horse, you know, son and everything is going to be, you know, everything is going to be great. But like, okay, maybe yes, maybe not. We don't know. You're speaking about the next world. You're going to blow yourself up. You're going to meet 72 very, very warm, you know, people that, you know, are going to greet you in the next world. Maybe yes, maybe no. You, you know, there's no, you know, a muhma didn't ever come back and be like, you know, you know, like what they're saying is um, very true. You know, like, there's never somebody that comes and validates them what they say. So it's very easy to make predictions on something that you cannot check. Says, says the rabbi in the Kuzli, that brings out, says to the, to the, to the Kuzal, to the king of this, of this country, it says Judaism makes predictions that you can't check. We're not dealing with things that you can't check. That's why they make predictions, right? There's prophecies in the Torah about the destruction of the, of the temple. There's, there's prophecies in the Torah about the ingathering of the exile. There's prophecies in the Torah about the Jews spreading out the entire, the entire world. There's prophecies in the Torah that the Jews are going to remain small in number. There's prophecies in the Torah that the Jews are never going to be destroyed. We deal with prophecies Check us. Go look at that. You think we don't... We're going to deal with things that you're going to be able to check and you're going to be able to prove. Out of the next world, we're not dealing with that. That's, that's an answer number two. That's one of the answers, yeah. The Ibn Ezra goes and says like this. And by the way, Rabbi Mordechai Becher goes and brings even more of these things. He, on Torah Anytime, he has a class on this. Um, and, and if you want to know more answers on these things, I would strongly recommend to listen to, the, to his class on this, on this topic. The Ibn Ezra goes and says like this. That, why does the Torah hint it and not say it straight out about the reward in the next world? Because for people that are smart, a hint is enough. For people that are negative smart, let's keep it clean, that are, that are not so smart, even saying it straight out is not going to help. Right? Have you ever had this conversation? Let's say there's a group of people and um, one person starts speaking. And then they start speaking about a topic that you're like, oh no, they cannot speak about this topic. Like it's very sensitive to the person next to it. And you're in the back and you're doing like, stop it. And you're trying to change the topic and they're like just not getting it, right? And you're throwing missiles, nuclear bombs under the table. Be like, just, shh. don't you need to go to the bathroom? You know, like go do cocaine in the bathroom. You know, like you're just like trying to get them away and they're just like not getting it. Have you ever been in that situation? It was just only me? Okay, I don't know. So, um, you know, I, 
I have, I've, I was in this situation so many times. I'll give you a hint. The, you know, there, there are ways to get out of it. And, you know, you just sort of veer the topic into different, you know, in, you know, in a different direction. You have to know how to do it very, very smart. And it, it, it's so funny because it happens to me so many times. Um, Can you? No, they, if you do it smart, they're not gonna. If you do it smart, they're not gonna come out. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you why. Because so in every like, let's say places that I speak about, I speak about. You know, I speak to different people, and I know their backgrounds. I know what they're dealing with. And sometimes there is another person that's coming in and they're speaking about it, and I'm like, okay, this is gonna trigger that person. This is not gonna. Be, I'm not pointing at you, by the way. This is triggering that invisible person, and that's gonna be like, that's gonna be not good. And so I have to veer very often topics away from like what you know, like making sure that everything, no one gets hurt, no one gets you know offended, and things like that. So I, I do it more often than I would want to. And to be honest, it's kind of enjoyable. It's like sort of like let's manipulate now, you know, like <laughs> let's work our magic. Um, but there's some people that just like nothing, like no matter, be like. I could just like pause for a second. I'll pull down a chart and be like, you see this person right over here? You cannot talk about this topic over here because they went through blah, 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 blah. And they're going to blah, 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 and all these things. And they're going to be like, whoa. And they're just going to keep on talking about it. Right? So some people, they just, they don't get hints. They just don't, don't get hints. Says Ibn Ezra, for some people, a hint is enough. If you hint in the next world, that's enough for them. For other people, you could hint, you could tell them straight out they're not going to get it. You could say there's a next world and you get a reward for it. Be like, well, what do you mean about that? The next world, you get a word of it. What does that mean? You know, like all of a sudden, you just, you know, like, goodbye. You know, like, next person, please. You know, like, pick another number, right? You know, like, there's some people that just don't get it. This is how I feel when people like, come over to me and I claim that there's no God. Claim the atheist. Be like, are you serious? Like, this type of person, even if God goes over to them and goes like, and be like, hey, 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 look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm God. I created the world. Must have been some psychedelic, you know, like over here. Like I must have taken some drugs, you know. Like no matter what happens, some people just don't get it. There's just some people don't don't get it. Says even as just says like this. Says very simple. Says it's enough for for the Torah to hint it. The people that are smart will get it. The people that are not smart, they're never going to get it. Right? You know, unfortunately, you know, my God have mercy on this. What I can't tell you, you know, like some people just don't get hints. That's all. That's that's, that's all there is to say about it. So. That's answer number, wherever answer we're up to. So uh, the next one is, why doesn't the Torah speak about the reward in the next world? Is because sometimes when you describe something, you can ruin it. Who here has been to Niagara Falls? Okay. If let's say you hear somebody be like, oh, so you went to Niagara Falls, and you hear somebody else say, yeah, I've been to Niagara Falls. It's like, it's like a waterfall. You know? it's, like, it's like another waterfall. Be like, are you kidding me? Like a waterfall? Like what? Are you, are you, you know, are you, are you serious? A waterfall that's crazy. Niagara Falls is unbelievable. You know, the amount of water that falls, meter per second. You know, you go on, and if you did the tour, and you know what, it, you're like, it's not a waterfall. This is like one. Of, is, I think it's one of the wonders of the. Of, you know, if it's not, it should be right. Is it one of the seven wonders? Right. It's you know, it's unbelievable. But if you're saying it like, yeah, imagine like a big bathtub. You know, it's like a lot of water falling down, and like a mist, and you go on a thing called a mist, and then you wear clothes. Like, yeah, yeah. I'd be like, what? You're ruining it. You're like, stop speaking. Just stop it. Like, don't be a tour guide. The last thing you should be is be a tour guide. Like, don't don't do it. You know, like so. Sometimes people can go and you can ruin it by describing it. And where I see it often, if if uh, you speak to people that. It's actually overhearing it. I sometimes overhear married people speaking to single people. 
And what sometimes they say is like, yeah, get married. It's awesome. It's the best thing. And sometimes you say like, don't do it. You know, like just enjoy single life. Like trust me. Like just wait until you're like 560 years old and then do it. Just like enjoy life. So right away I know exactly how their marriage is. The one that says do it, get married, you know that person's marriage is good. The one that says don't do it, just enjoy single life, you know that marriage is not good. Because your perception, you know, changes on what, on what, on how you explain something. So you can have something that is amazing, but it depends what it is. It depends on how you, and how you, uh, how you go and, and you, you explain, how you go and you, you, you perceive something, the way that you experience it. So somebody who doesn't enjoy Niagara Falls, I think that's a waterfall, but someone who can really enjoy it can explain it so differently. Where does this come into like a pet peeve of mine? And yes, we will go on a tangent. Um, where does it go in a pet peeve of mine is when you go to the hotel. So you, you know, you go to the hotel, you have all these people that are... Spoiler alert. Okay, so... When you go and, and you go into the hotel and you have people that go and you hear the English tours, right? Israeli tours at least a little bit better. If anybody understands Hebrew, you go over there. Okay, at least I'm doing it right. Israeli tours, you go and you overhear them and they're walking around. Everyone has one of those, you know, cameras, you know, you know, over there. It may or may not be from the far eastern, you know, world. And they'll be like, well, over here. Uh, you know, we have, uh, you know, the wall where people put their papers in to speak to God and be like, I'm moving along. We'll see the tunnels. Be like, I'm like, oh, hold on one second. You're like, that's all you're going to say about the hotel that you put papers in here to speak to God. I'm like, are you serious? What, what, you know what's going on over here? The sages tell us that the, the, the Shekhinah, the divine presence will never leave the hotel. The Western world will always have the divine, the divine presence. In fact, Jerusalem was destroyed so many times, the Western world was never destroyed. The Kotel HaMaravi, the Western world was never, was never destroyed. In fact, in the covenant of Abraham, the, the Torah tells us that the Jewish people will never be destroyed. And so too the wall, the Western wall was never destroyed. There's a, the wall is like a symbol to the Jewish people. It's the, you know, the, through the, 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 the almost 2,000 years of exile that we are, you have people through crazy, crazy danger and expense that they went to go and pray by the, by the Western world. To say that, oh, it's just a you know, place that you can just put a It's a holy site for the Jewish people. Like, are you kidding me? This is the connection between heaven and earth. In fact, the Kabbalist tells us that when you're praying, all prayers go to that, to that, to, you know, to the, to, you know, the section of the Beth Amidash, and from there they go into, you know, they go to, to, you know, they go to heaven. And in fact, the, the hotel in English is known as the Wailing Wall. The Western Wall or the Wailing Wall? The Wailing Wall, why? It's because people are always crying over there. Why are people crying over there? Once the Beth HaMikdash was destroyed, all the, the gates of prayers were closed. Except what for the gate of tears. So people go to the hotel where the, where the entrance is into the next world, where the entrance is where all the prayers go in, and they go over there and they sit and they cry. So it's known as the wailing wall. It's not the wall is crying. The people are crying and they're crying to the wall. They're crying to the place, the center of the place where it goes directly into, you know, into the, into the next world. Whenever a Jew goes and prays for thousands of years, where do they focus their prayer? The focus of prayer. So if you're outside of Israel, you focus into Israel. If you're in Israel, you focus into Jerusalem. If you're in Jerusalem, you're focusing into, you know, to, into the place of Harabai. So you're, the, all the prayers are focused into this, into this, uh, in, into this location. You're standing over there, right, with your little fly a kite of a kippah, and you're sitting over there with your big thing, and you don't understand the level, the depths of the holiness that you're standing in front of over here. And people say, well, why don't you? People do not, sometimes it's lost in translation. People cannot begin to explain the, you know, 
know, what the holiness is in this area. In fact, every single wedding, when, when you write, right, right before, when people go and dance the Khatan of Kala, the Khatan the breaks a, a glass, or breaks a, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, object. For what? For Zechel Chuban. Zechel Chuban Yerushalayim. And they go and they sing in Mishkachech Yerushalayim. They go and they, and they remember at the happiest time of a person's life, they're remembering the destruction of the temple. They're remembering it. Every, how many times we say, How many times we say, like, every, at the Passover Seder, everything that we pray, everything that we celebrate, next year we say in Jerusalem. To say that this is just a place that you put a piece of paper in, a place that you pray, it's, it's, you don't, you're not, you're not utilizing it. You're, you're misrepresenting it. The, even, it's even so important for the non-Jewish people. The non-Jewish people, they, were able, in the time of Sukkot, there were 70 bulls that were offered as a koban over there. Now, what was it? It was, it was for all the nations of the world. All the nations of the world. In fact, the, the, the sages tell us that if the Romans, who destroyed the second temple, knew how much benefit and gain they were getting from the temple, they would never destroy the temple. Because it's also for the non-Jewish people. Now, I was thinking about how to properly like explain this, and then I found a 49-second video. And I remember seeing this, probably one of the tours. And this is a, a video of, of the soldiers being able to capture in the Six-Day War the temple. And I think this says it more, and I really do want to show you. I haven't said that we haven't done videos here in a long time. So let's... Can you guys see that? This, the first time that I saw this, were you able to see it? Were you able to see it? The first time that I saw this was like, it like produces tears in your eyes. What, what was the fact that, that it produced tears in your eyes? The fact that you see, you want to know, understand, you know, what the level of the Kotel is. You go and you look at the soldiers that were fighting. What were they doing when they got to the Kotel? Instead of going and just moving on, you saw them going, sitting there and crying by the wall. Like where else do you see that in history where a soldier goes and captures some sort of land and they're sitting and all of a sudden they're praying. And I guarantee you that the majority of those soldiers were not religious. They get, they, they feel the holiness of it and they understand the level of it and they're coming into the, to the, to the holiest place in the world and they pour out their heart. They realize, you, you, I don't know if you heard it, it says we got the harabais. The harabais is in our hands. Like this is what the soldiers are dealing with. This is what, you're, you want to know what something is. If you go and you just explain it, sometimes you mess it up. If you want to go and say, yeah, the Kotel is a place where the Jewish people come and pray and they put some notes in the wall. It's nothing to do with that. As, you know, yes, that's something that we do, that's something that we pray by. But if you understand the level of it, sometimes by explaining it, mess, you just don't, you mess it up. You just mess it up. So one of the reasons that we don't speak about in the, you know, the Torah, about the reward and the world to come, is because we're going to mess it up. We're not gonna, we don't have the ability to go and explain it. We don't have the ability to go and understand the, the depths and the beauty and the awesomeness of it. The, you know, the, the Mishnah in uh, Pekeh Avot says, Every single Jew has a share in the world to come, which is true. Unless you mess it up, and then you don't have a share in the world to come, depending on what you do. However, there's one thing that's very, very important, that not all shears are created equal. 
I know that there's, I don't know, there's a Rosa Parks or somebody in the, that community, right? Would go and they say, like, everybody was created equal. True. Not arguing with that. But when you're dealing with your share in the world to come, not all shares are equal. It all depends on what you do. And what you do in this world is going to be affected what you have in the next world. The Maharal goes and says another answer. Says that one of the reasons why we don't explain, why we, we, we don't have it straight out in the Torah about the world to come is that we don't have the vocabulary to explain it. Just imagine trying to explain to somebody the color red to somebody who's blind. It's, you can't. What are you going to say? It's like blood, what's blood? You know, it's what's in your vein. Well, you cannot explain. There's sometimes you just don't have a vocabulary for it. Why doesn't God explain Because some things in human, there's something that are beyond human intellect. Thank you. You're answering that, or you have a question on top of that? Not familiar with that. Ain't all haba. It's like a, it's like a, a you know a, a taste of it. It doesn't. There's nothing that says. Again, we're not saying that. We're we're just saying right. We're just saying that. Listen, we cannot explain it. Even you're saying why doesn't God God create a word that explain it? It's not the fact that there's not vocabulary to explain it. Um, even though that's the answer that I gave, but it's also our lack of understanding. So sometimes. Um, Think of it this way. If you have a lot of electricity, if you put it through a certain, you know, the voltage and through a certain thing, it's just going to blow up. We just don't have the capacity to, to understand it. In our human intellect, in our minuscule human intellect, we cannot begin to comprehend what is reward in the next world. The, you know, Rabbi Yitzhak Meir Alter was the, the, the founder of the Ger Hasidic dynasty. Somebody once came over to him and says, a, ra- a student that just went off. And he says, Rabbi, I can prove to you that Judaism is not is, is false, that Torah is false. And he says in the second paragraph of Shema Israel, it speaks about the terrible punishments if someone deviates from the ways of the, of the Torah, the ways of the, of the righteousness. And he says, listen, he says, I deviated from the way. I'm not a righteous person. And yet, you can see, I have money, I have family, I have everything good going for me. This is a proof that the Torah is false. So the rabbi looks at him and says, the fact that you know that the second pasuk in Kriyat says that, means that you have must at least one time in your life said Kriyat So he said, listen Rabbi, even a sinner like me, I've been to the synagogue before, I've prayed before. So he said that you should know, this is what the rabbi told me, that all your reward that you have, whatever you received in your life until now, is inadequate for that one good deed that you did for saying Shema. We cannot even begin to comprehend it to such a level that even the good, all the good that you have in this world cannot even begin to comprehend the one good deed that you did in your life, even though you're a sinner. Even though that you're a wicked person, you go against God. So, this is what the, the, the you know, the speaking about the, you know, this um, topic, we do have a few minutes, right? Yeah. Okay, talking to myself. Okay. And there's a pasuk in Shemot, chapter 30th, verse 5. It says, Poked avon avot al-banim al-shelishim v'al-rebeim l'sonav. That God goes and He visits their sins on, upon the third or fourth generation of, of, you know, of those who, who go and, and hate God, per se. Meaning that God pays back third or fourth generation as a punishment. He, stick with me for, for a second. However, the pasuk goes on. 
And it says in the next pasuk, and God does kindness for thousands of generations. Says Rashi over there. When God does kindness, He does kindness until 2,000 generations. Says Rashi in this pasuk in, in, uh, in Shemot. And He goes and says like this. It says that when God goes and God punishes, He God punishes up to the fourth generation. When God rewards, God rewards up to 2,000 generations. Meaning, what is the ratio? The ratio is 4 to 2,000. The ratio is 1 to 500. Meaning, I'll give you a second. Meaning that, that God goes, that, that God bestows goodness 500 times greater than the badness, than the bad thing that it does. Meaning that the, God is 500 times more rewarding than punishment. That something is weighed, if let's say you do something which is impossible, let's say equal bad and good, the good is gonna be weighed 500 pounds greater than the bad. You understand what I'm saying? You're following me so far? Okay, that, and this is where the, the, there's there's two there's there's two um, things. That's a guarantee. Oh, if you mess up, if you if you go, true has for anything. Like I had a friend say long, she's like, you know, you see like good people that like are going through so much hardships and bad people that are not, and she's like, I really think it's like this, like their their parents. Oh, so we'll, we'll, let, let's wait on that. Yes, you could get reward on your parents, but at the end of the day, it all depends on you. So you could get a lot of reward based on your parents and based on your grand ancestors, which is possible. But at the end of the day, it's all you. It's all you, but there is help that can be up above. You had a question, right? Ah, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. So the, there is two... In the, there's 36 sins that someone that goes karat, that gets karat, means they get cut off, they get cut off in the next world. Of the two, there's two positive ones, Brit Milah and Kalban Pesach. So it says the Chudush Arim goes like this, it says that if someone doesn't do a Brit Milah and someone doesn't do a Kalban Pesach, he gets cut off from God. But it says the Chudush Arim that if he does do these things, then he gets 500, if he gets cut off, or if he doesn't do it, then if he does do it, he gets 500 times more attached to God. It goes the other way as well. It, the, the ratio is 1 to 500. God punishes to one, but rewards 500 times the value of that, of that punishment. Make sense? Okay. Yeah. Somebody gets cut off from God, then they don't, I would think, I'm not sure, it's my question. They don't feel the pleasure of being with God, but nor do they feel the pain of not being with God. So the question is, is, your question is actually a very, very complex and long one to answer. What does it mean to get cut off, basically? What does it mean? Do you don't get reward for what you do? do you know, is it for eternity? Is it for how long? It's a whole long topic. I did give um, this class years ago. It's online on karat to try to explain this. There's three different types of karat and how do you get, you know, you know, what's the level of punishment that you get for it and what does it mean to get cut off? There's different levels, which I didn't even know if I spoke about in that class. There's people that, let's say, lose their share in the world to come and there are people that have karat, two different, two different categories. Losing share of the world to come is worse than karat. So there's different things and what that means and what's the ramifications on that. Too long to get into it, but I do speak about it in those classes, so if you do want to go and, and review that, you can, you can go and look at that. So, okay, a few more minutes and we will be uh, done. The, the question that you ask, it says in, in Pasuk and Tehillim, no, it doesn't say in Pasuk and Tehillim, it says in Pasuk and in Baika. It says in Leviticus, chapter 26, verse 42. It says, nope, still not. <laughs> Where was where was I'm going to answer you? It says it says that God doesn't punishment. Oh, here it is. That's why I messed it. I, I skipped. That God does not punishment. It, no, that God. Oh, here it is. 
In Dvarim, you're right, you're here it is. In Dvarim, chapter 24, verse 16, it says, it says like this, it says, Lo yamutu avot al-banim, uvanim lo yamutu al-avot. The children are not going to die on their father's sins, and the fathers are not going to die on the children's sins. So first of all, let's speak about what, what we're talking about this pasuk. This pasuk says like this, that if somebody does something bad, God can punish them in, in, a, diff- in a variety of different, uh, different ways. It can punish them on their money, on their health, and even on their children. Oh, but it says in the pasuk over here in Dvarim, it says that God is not going to you know, destroy on the children based on the father's sins, or the fathers on the children's sins, so that depends. So what does it depend on? The Bamid Barabba, the, the uh, Midrashim, go and explain that that refers to adults. When you're dealing with small children, small children can die, can be punished on the father's sins. Adults cannot, be, cannot get punished because so they have their own free their own, will. Uh, why? Take it up with the Midrash in Bamid Barabba, uh, chapter 8, uh, verse 4. So the, but when you're dealing with, uh, easy answer for me, right? <laughs> like, alright, whatever, like, deal with it. You know, like, so, <laughs> um, Oh, we don't have time to. You go, maybe if we have time at the end, well, we could go. We could, we could expand on that. However, the the dealing with with ancestry, which was you, I think uh, you asked that. So we do we do go and we do invoke ancestry on our ancestors. For example, in Leviticus chapter twenty six verse verse forty two, it says, mm-hmm. We go and many many times in our day and many prayers, we go and we invoke the merits of our forefathers and even the merits of our own ancestors that are closer, grandparents, great grandparents. So what is that? You know, what does that entail? For our uh, ability to succeed in you know in life, so while it does help, ancestry alone does not d- does not help. A person's own effort needs to have you know needs to have an effect. We have the ancestry that comes as a think of it as a catalyst. Think of it as something that's going to help you go and achieve whatever you need to achieve. But at the end of the day, it's all about you. It's all about whatever you're going to do. The you know the I don't know if I want to get into this topic at hand. Uh, if we switch it into like a, you know, the Nazi world, um, where sometimes, uh, let's speak about it very briefly. Sometimes you have that, you know, people that are very wicked, that are, that live to a ripe old age, and they're very successful, and everything is amazing with their life. The reason why I say Nazis is that, you know, everyone knows there's no good Nazis, right? Like, I don't think anybody's ever met a good Nazi, right? So they're like, they're bad. But imagine there are like, they, they live to a ripe old age. They live with their children. They live with their grandchildren and great-grandchildren. They have money to support from all the things that they stole from the Jews. They're like, where's the reward and punishment? Where's the reward and punishment? It's like the Mappa. Shem gave him the worst punishment. Like, he said, I don't want you to talk to me. Right. So that's what we said before, right? So Michelin, you know, God goes and pays the wicked people in their face to go and destroy them, right? Michelin goes and destroys them, wants to go and destroy them, which is true. God could go and punish the, the, the Nazi people, whatever it is, or the wicked people by giving them all the good and benefit in this world so they don't have to deal with it in the next world. That is true, that is, that is one answer. But the, the, the essence of what I really want to get to is that the true reward and punishment does not happen in this world. It happens in the next world. The next world is where the reward and punishment is. So whether you see somebody who's righteous at suffering or something, someone who's wicked at prospering, that has nothing to do with everything that happens is going to happen, you know, in the you know in the next world. The you know to finish off, I want to finish off with uh, with two different uh, you know thought process, ideas. Let's call it. The Lubavitcher Rebbe goes uh, and explains something very interesting. In Apollo 8, um, this was in December 24, 1968. There was, uh, this is the first time that the astronauts orbited the moon around both ways. Right? Anybody who knows anything about you know, 
I guess you know that <laughs> will will understand what I'm talking about. But it was like a, it was like when history was made. This was like a historical, you know, uh, you know moment. So the Lubavitch Rebbe goes and says like, so learn some righteous people learn from everything. I have phone calls that I get all the time, and it, it could be range anything from like a terrible day to a terrible dream, like where I'm talking about reality to non-reality. In life, you can learn from everything. It all depends on what the what what you're going to be able to gain from it. So, the Lubavitch Rebbe goes and says, "What do you learn from the Apollo Eight that's able to circle the moon?" So you see these astronauts that are going into you know they're orbiting space and they're, they're like in literally a different world. You know, when they leave, they get instructions from ground. What is it called? Ground control. You, you have the ground control says, "Okay, listen. You have to eat this. You go to the bathroom over here. You have to push this button. You have to go there." List and list six hundred thirteen commandments. Right? Two hundred and forty-eight positive commands. You have to do this. Three hundred sixty-five negative commands. You have to do not. Whoever knows what I'm talking, where I'm going with this. Right? So there's certain things that you have to do. But what ha- you know? What happens if let's say there's an astronaut says like, but what do they know? Like, really, is it going to make such a big difference if instead of pushing this button, I'll push this button? And you decide that you're going to, as an astronaut, you're going to push this button. And be like, are you kidding me? That could be, you know, that could result in billions of dollars of losses because you decided to push this button. But you're going to be like, okay, well, listen, I never knew. Be like, it doesn't matter whether you knew or you're not. You have people that dedicated their lives to go and study this subject. And they tell you, you push this button and you don't push this button. You eat this food and you don't eat this food. Right? You can't sneak a Snickers onto the moon and be like, okay, I'm going to eat a Snickers. Uh, you know, because you eat Chalfstam, whatever. It is a different topic in itself. Right? You're going to go and you're going to say, I'm going to eat this. And because of that, blah, 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 blah. You know, no, no. You follow directions to the T. Why? Because you know that they're the specialist on it. Says the Rabbi Rebbe. Says that if you want to have a safe mission in this world, it says you follow the Torah. You follow the instructions that God, who created the world, told you, this is what you need to do. This is what you don't need to do. And if you do this, you get rewarded. If you do this, you get punished. Be like, well, I, you know, I can do better. Be like, you don't know any better. God created the world, told you what, exactly what you need to do. But what if you don't understand? Imagine an astronaut says, well, I never understood the reason of why I have to push this button, so I didn't push this bu- button. Does that make sense? Be like, no, regardless of whether you understand the reason or not, the specialist told you push it, you push it. You, the specialist told you to jump, you jump. You float, you float. You do whatever the specialist tells you to do. The specialist in this world is God. God created everything. God told you to do this, you do this. You get rewarded or you get punished. That's just as simple as the way that it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, what about all the extra stuff? Mm-hmm. The, the four inches when you're doing snail, the all the extra things that people take on, are those things they're getting rewarded for? They will get rewarded for. Someone who does and extra... Not necessarily. If it's extra, and you set some things over there which may or may not be extra. And I don't want to get into it because we'll be here for a very, very long time. But if you're di- what we need to do is what the Torah says. The extra stuff, if you want to be more stringent upon yourself, it will be a blessing will come on you. But the people that don't bring the extra, doesn't mean they're going to get punished for it. They're not just going to. You're going to get an extra blessing on it. But the people that violate it, that don't do the extra, they don't. They don't violate it. But now it's a whole different question. What do you define as extra? What do you define as not extra? So what, like what's considered what we get rewarded for? What's considered what we get punished for? Just the plain simple. We get rewarded for the good things that we do, and we get punished for the bad things that we do. The, your question is, is what is good and what is bad. That's really what your question is. So we follow the Torah. What the Torah says is good, you do is good. What the Torah says is bad, is you do is bad. Let's say, and I don't want to use an example, but I will use an example, and I know I shouldn't use this example. Let's say you don't wear a shrimal. Right? Does anybody here know what a shrimal? Does anybody here not know what a shrimal is? Right? 
basically you murder a fox and you wrap it around your head, right? So, um, and nothing against them. Like, may they all be blessed. But let's say you don't wear a strimal. Are you going to get punished for that? That could be one of the many answers that I would give, yeah. So that's fine. You're not going to get punished for doing that. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be doing that. I'm not going to go into that topic, but uh, because, well, kippah, you are required to at this point then, yeah. Uh, yeah, kippah, you have to, to. Thank you for averting the subject. So, <laughs> It so depends. So, so we're going now. There's a, it's a requirement, and now why now? Why? Why now? We could go into this topic, but we will be here for another forty-five minutes. Um, so we could. The, the what was your question on the community? I thought it'd be on the community. So some communities that were wigs, you don't have to. There's first of all, hair covering is from the from the Torah. Just because some communities don't wear wigs, it's just because some communities don't listen to the Torah. It doesn't mean that it's right. But I thought you would follow that community. No, because they're mis they're they're not following the Torah. You don't follow the community. Be like, well, my grandfather, my great grandfather, were all sinners, so I'm just following my. It doesn't work that way. Doesn't matter community or not. If it's fa- if they're going against the Torah, it doesn't matter. Wig is a requirement biblically. Not rabbinically. It's a biblically... Not a wig, I'm sorry. A hair covering. A hair covering. Wig or not, that's another whole topic in itself. But a hair covering is a requirement for the Torah. If your community doesn't follow it, my personal suggestion would be find a new community. Because that community is going to be sharing a very, very wonderful place in the next world. And when I say wonderful, they could get a great tan. Great tan. Instantly. No. Yeah, minhama not when it violates the Torah, not when it violates the Torah. So if something violates the Torah, yeah, that, that it, two different things. If you're if there's a community that doesn't go to the Torah, but they say this is my community thing, then you get out of that community as fast as possible because that community is not going to be good for you at any. That's that's not a community. It's something that's just you know like misrepresented Torah. It's like a reform. You can say the reform is their community and they're fine whatever they're doing. No, they're misrepresenting Torah and there's a very, very special place for them. Some communities have religious people and non-religious people so you can find people in your community that are religious. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we can't, we, can't, we can't generalize communities and what they, what they do but if a community at large says and says, listen, as a community we don't have to cover our hair. Then you say, as a Jew, I am out of here. And then you can write your rap as you're walking out, right? It's not that, that, that there is there is minhagim. Yes, there's customs, and then there's halachot. When you're when you're going against the Torah, you cannot say, "Well, my minhag is not to listen to the halacha. My minhag is to eat, you know, on Pesach chametz." And be like, "Your minhag is, you know, what minhag spells also, right? You jumble the letters. Minhag is gehenom. Uh, you know, the same. You know, there's some people that go and they use minhagim to go and and." Bring themselves into, in, you know, into into Gehenom. But in any case, a lot of these questions are great questions, but we're going to be here a very long time. Let me just finish this, and we'll open up for whatever it is that you want to talk about, the kippah, or whatever it is, hair covering, or whatever it is that you want to deal with. So, the I want to share with you one final part. part on Rabbi Mordechai Becher brings this down based off of Moshe Shapiro. He says this world is known as Olam Hazeh. The next world is known as Olam Haba. The question is that if you, who here speaks Hebrew? 
only one person. Olam, two people. Olam hazeh. The the other one you'll say would be olam ahu, be this world and that world. Why is it the the correct vernacular if you want to use the opposite is olam hazeh and olam ahu? Why is it olam hazeh and olam haba? Olam hazeh is this world. Olam haba is the next world. Which would be olam hazeh this world and olam ahu that world, the next world. Why is it olam haba? Says Ramosha Shapiro that everything that you do in this world creates your next world, meaning that your olam haba comes me olam hazeh. Your next world comes from Olam Azeh, meaning that everything that you do is creating your Olam Abba. That is why it's not Olam Ahu, it's Olam Haba. It's Olam Haba me Olam Hazeh. So you're literally creating yourself. You're creating, exactly, you're creating yourself. The Kevel, Kevel is a grave. Kevel is a, is a grave, but Kevel also means a womb. As we see in Pesachas HaKever, in, uh, in, in Gemara and Shabbat, uh, you know, speaks about it. The Kevel is also a womb and also a grave. What is the connection between a womb and a grave? The mother when she's raising a child inside of her, when she's pregnant, everything that she does affects a child. So if she smokes and drinks, it affects a child. Even happiness or sadness affects a child. Everything affects a child. It's just like, like the mother affects her child, her child that, that's growing in her, wound, in her womb, so too a person is affecting his world when he's in this world, he's creating his next world. Meaning that, that we're pregnant, think about it this way, we're pregnant with our future selves. We are the ones who decide how we are. So if you smoke, think about it. A woman smokes in this world, she takes uh, there's a certain drug, that, what is that? I don't know if it's a crack baby, whatever it's called. Like if a woman takes certain, uh, yeah, did I just take a right turn? Whatever. So you know what I'm talking about. For certain, there, there are certain drugs, if a woman takes a baby is born, I think it's heroin. If a baby is born addicted to heroin, addicted to that thing because the mother creates it so so too with the way that you're living your life you're creating you're pregnant with yourself what you're doing is what you're affecting yourself in the next world it's this whatever you do everything is based on reward and punishment you're living your life good in this world you're going to create for yourself a good and healthy life in the next world you're living yourself a sick disgusting disturbed life in this world then that's what you're going to have in the next world it all depends on what you do so let's do a quick recap and then we'll open up for any other questions that we want to uh, deal with and answer with when somebody goes and somebody says, you know, like when you're dealing with reward and punishment, a very, very famous question asked is, where is the reward and punishment in this world? So we gave numerous answers of why we don't, the Torah does not specify that there, there is no reward. You don't have, you don't see the Torah speak straight out about the reward. Number one, we don't know that we, we cannot even, uh, uh, you know, comprehend it. It's beyond our comprehension. Number two, we don't even know the, the, um, where we're going and we're trying to explain something, we don't even have the vocabulary to go and explain it. It's so beyond us. Additionally, we also don't have the, when we're dealing with something in the Torah, we're dealing with something that the Torah goes and you could prove it. You could go and validate it. We're not speaking about hypotheticals. And number, whatever we're up to, number three, four, wherever, when the Torah speaks about something, the Torah you know, speaks about something that you could relate to. If it's something so much beyond your relation, so much beyond your, there's nothing to even, to even talk about. And if the Torah would say about it, it all depends on your perception. Just like the people that perceive what the Kotal is, people that perceive what the Niagara Falls is, people perceive what the Grand Canyon is, whatever anything is, they, it's all based on your perception. So for numerous upon numerous reasons, the Torah does not specify the reward. Also, because the ultimate way to serve God is not for the reward. The ultimate to serve God is because that's what you're supposed to be doing. As if that you deserve the reward, you don't deserve the reward. Everything that, that God God gives you is already a benefit for you. Everything that you're doing, you're not deserving anything. It's only based on God's mercy and kindness that God's giving you a reward for something that God gave you the ability to do. So now, 
when we think about all these things, when we think about the, the idea of punishment, and also something very important to remember, that people think, okay, God wants to punish us. God does not want to punish you. In fact, how do we know that? We know that the punishment is... 500 times less than the reward. That is why you can never say, okay, you know, you have people be like, okay, I did something wrong. I'm already going to Gehenom. I'm already going to hell. So what's the difference? Let me just do everything bad. It has two separate, separate calculations. You have a calculation of good and you have a calculation of bad. If you go and you give up all your good because of the bad that you did, then it's somebody who's, you're losing so much. You're losing 500 times. That is why that the good never ever cancels out the bad. It's not possible if you do something good today and then you do something bad today and be like, okay, listen, I scored even. No, no, no. You have 500 times good bet over the five, the one time the bad that you did. That's the level. God wants to bestow goodness upon you. God wants to reward you that it's, fi- that it's worth 500 times greater than the punishment that you're going to be getting. And finally, when you're going and you're getting punished, generally speaking, punishment is not eternity. Reward is for eternity. However, there's some people that are very good in what they do in their sins, and they're able to go and get punished for eternity. But generally speaking, you don't get punished for eternity. You get punished for a certain period of time, 12 months maximum, right? That's what we say, Kaddish for 11 months. And then you go into the next world and you get all your reward. The purpose of everything here in this world is you're pregnant with yourself. So the question is, is how do you want you to come out? Do you want to come out good? Do you want to come out healthy? Or do you want to come out sick on heroin? Any questions? Good way to end the class, right? <laughs> questions, yeah. Um, all our rewards and punishments are in the next world, not yet. Oh, good, 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 Not necessarily. Oh, so do you get reward? If something good happens, you say, does that come out from your, from your merits? Not necessarily. If, let's say, you put yourself in a dangerous situation, and then you get saved from that dangerous situation, that could be removing from your merit. However, if you're going, and if you're, you're living your life, and good comes out from you, that doesn't detract from your, from your good. Unless you're a very wicked person, and God is paying you in this world. But generally speaking, right, everybody who's listening to this class is obviously a very great person, righteous person, probably one of the 36 righteous people, uh, you know, in the world. Um, so you're, 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 when, when you're, when you're dealing with that, if God gives you good, that doesn't detract from your, from your, um, from your reward in the world to come. God is giving you, you could say that it's a reward like you get reward for something you did good, so you're going to get reward for it in this world also, but it doesn't detract from you. Think of it as like a salesman, it's part of your expenses. You're doing good, whatever, utilize whatever the company credit card that you want. Doesn't, that doesn't detract. Also the opposite. I'll get you afterwards, yeah. But also the opposite with suffering, is it always, a, is suffering always a punishment? No, so suffering is also not always a punishment, but generally speaking it is. There is, yes, sometimes suffering is a test, sometimes suffering is to get your reward, but generally speaking, suffering is a punishment. Generally speaking, but there are times that you're not. That's what the Gemara says, that if someone someone sees that suffering is coming, go and search your deeds. See what you're doing something wrong, because if you, it must be that it's coming for some, for something. However, the Gemara goes on and says, oh, if you don't find this, you don't find it, it's not because of the Bitutahana. The Gemara goes on to a whole list of things, then you must say that it's coming suffering out of love, meaning that God loves you, He's giving you suffering, and He's going to give you greater reward. But that is such a high level, such such a high level, that if suffering comes upon yourself, you have to figure out what do I need to do, what do I need to change, maybe I need to fix something to remove the suffering. Yeah. Also, some people, like, they do go through suffering that is not logically understandable why they should go through it, so it must be that it's like for a or something, because they simply didn't do 
Gilgal is the easiest answer. You're right. Gilgal is the easiest answer they can give. But no, I agree with you. You're right. We don't understand that. We don't know the reason for it. But the last thing that... I'll, I'll give you a warning that you should do. If let's say someone's suffering and they're going through really, really hard time, never ever tell them you know why you're suffering. Because in a previous life, you are a wicked person. And not wicked good. Like wicked bad. You're like a bad person. No, so I, like, I but yeah. comforting because like, otherwise logic it is. It is, and you're right. And and I find it comforting as well. I think it's a it's it's a it's, it's such a secret to creation that we have this ability to understand yeah. that so it, it's like it, we don't understand it, so it must be that there's a different purpose for it because we could say that sense. without going to Gilgul. Everything that God does is for the great, you know, or Gamzul Tova, whichever way that you want to go with it. It's a high level, yes, it, it, but. Everything that happens, there's a reason for it and good for it. You want to go a lower level is say reincarnation, but a higher level is that everything God does, God does for the best, regardless yeah, of whatever it is. Teach. Right. You're on fire today. Like, you're like a really good question. You're like, so I'll tell you like, uh, what you're saying is so, so we have to speak about this for like a few minutes because this is like, that's like crazy stuff. So what happens if let's say somebody, somebody's going through suffering, but because they're so optimistic, they're like, I love God. Everything is awesome. You know, like, you know, like a round of applause, right, a round of applause for God, please. You know, like God created so much suffering for me and it is only good. So like that person is not getting the hint. You're like, listen, you got something bad that's going on. You have to fix it. However, there's something very interesting. When something, when someone has something bad that happens to them and they accept it, this is based off Hasidut, right? So if someone goes, if something bad happens and they say, listen, I love God, they're so optimistic. They're like, everything is great. The fact that they have to go through some sort of suffering, but the fact that they just accepted it with kindness has the ability to remove that decree. Has the ability to remove the, all the bad that comes after it. So really what we could say is really... You go, the, the most famous person is, you look up, um, was it Rabbi Lemelech? Rabbi Zusha, Rabbi Zusha ben Apali. Rabbi Lemelech, brother. Um, he was known, he had a, a very, very difficult life. He was very poor, very, suf- ton, tons and tons of suffering. And one guy went over to, one, one chassid went over to his rabbi and says, Rabbi, you have to explain to me how I deal with suffering. So he says, I can't answer, you have to go to Rabzusha Menapali. So he goes and he travels to find Rabzusha. And he finds Rabzusha and he sees this guy's house, this rabbi's house is so broken that homeless people wouldn't even walk into it. Like it was a broken of the broken. And he knocks on the, what's the door and the door swings open and then it swings back in and he knocks again and it swings back open again. You know, and then he knocks again and the door falls apart and just like crumbles into pieces. And you know, Rabzusha comes out smiling and it's raining and there's buckets collecting everywhere. You know, and Rabzusha's like, here's my wells. You know, like, and, and he says, uh, you know, he says, my rabbi came and told, come to me and said that I have to come to you if I want to know why, why do I have so much suffering in my life. So Abzusha, who had tremendous amount of suffering, he says, why would your rabbi come to me? Why would your rabbi tell, him, tell you to come to me? It's like, I never had a bad day in my life. I'd be like, uh, like do, you, do you live here? Or are you, uh, like, what's going on? And he's like, no, this is my, this is my home. They're like, what do you mean you never had a bad day in your life? Look at your home. But the rabbi, in his mind, never had a bad day in his life. He cannot see bad. So some people, they cannot see bad. 
even if bad is happening to them, because they realize that everything that happens is for the best. They realize that everything that God does, everything that God does, God does for the best. That in itself has such a power to remove bad decrees, meaning that this is something very, very important. It's so important that it was worth it for each and every single one of you to come today to this class, If even if you got nothing what I said so far, just this last point part, it's worth it that you came for that. That if you're having a bad day or bad time and you go to God and say, God, listen, I don't know what's the reason that I'm having this hard day. What's the reason I'm having this hard year or hard life or whatever it is. But one thing I want, I accept everything. He said, I accept it. I love you. And I know everything that happens is for the best. I accept it. That in itself, you that has so much power. It has enough power to remove all your bad decrees. That's the power that it has. So the, the skula that it has, you want to know what a skula is to remove bad, accept it. Say, listen, God, I, I, I deserve it. I know I deserve it. I thank you for it. When you go and you thank God for it, God's going to, you know, that removes, removes that decree. The most powerful, powerful thing. So I think, I know it was one of you two, whatever it is, both of you, thank you for, for you know, bringing this up. Because it's such a crazy, crazy skulah. People are always looking for skulahs to get out of, to get out of thing. And some people are just very bitter people. It's very difficult to speak to bitter people. I, you know, I, I deal with them more than I would like to. And you speak to them like, they're angry at everybody. They're angry at God. They're angry at you for helping them. They're angry at their parents. They're angry at everybody. They're just angry people. They're just like bitter, bitter people. The truth is, we cannot judge them because they go through a very hard life. But if they just know the secret of it all, is if you just go and you accept it. And you say, listen, God, I love you. I know that you care about it. And you care about me. And everything is for the best. And I accept it. 80% of your decree just flushes down the toilet. If we just realize the power of that. Try it. Just like, remember we said that you have 500 times, 500 times greater good than bad that you paid for it? So too in your life, if you look at it, you have 500 times greater good than the bad that happens. So, hard to see that. so you open your eyes and you see the fact that you're breathing, you're walking, you're talking, you're able to eat, and you're smelling. We just did five. And then five huge things, right? It's hard. It, it's very difficult. You can't tell a bitter person and be like, well, be happy that you're able to walk. Be like, what are you talking about being able to walk? You know, like, I, blah, 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 blah. You know, and they go all the, so you can't tell, the last thing you want to tell a bitter person is like, hey, don't be sad. Be happy. Yeah. Right. So you have to be very careful on the words that you say because people that are, people that are bitter people and people that are, that are going through suffering in life, what you're saying, they hear very differently than what you hear it. So you have to say very, very sensitive because they're an open wound. So when you're an open wound, you touch it, it hurts. For you know the general people, you tell them, "Hey, be happy." I'll be like, "Yeah, okay, I'll be happy. Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, let me try that." You know, so the next time they get a parking ticket, they're like, "Yeah, everything's for the best. Everything's for God." But meanwhile, somebody lost their business, their family, their children. You know, there's so much suffering that goes in. How can you tell them to be happy? It's, you don't tell them to be happy, and you have to do it in a very smart way. And it all depends on the situation. It's, sometimes you can't. Sometimes you just you you just listen. That's all you can do. And as much as you want to say, hey, be happy, just because you're 500 years old and you're not married yet, don't worry, the right one is coming right around the corner. You know, like, God had a plan for you. Like, you can't. You can't always say that. So there's, there's different, you know, everybody's in a different situation. You have, to, you have to deal with every situation as its own. It's tough. Is it possible to accept the suffering but still want better? Yeah, 100%. You accept the suffering, say, I deserve it, and then you pray. Praying means you can pray for whatever it is that you want. doesn't negate one another.
You don't want to say, hey God, bring it on. Bring on the suffering. You want to say, bring on the blessing. No, you're, not supposed to. you're not supposed to, right. You're not supposed to. You want to bring on the blessing. You want to pray for the stuff that good. Yeah. What about like your free choices? Um, not in terms of um, doing whatever, just life things. In what aspect? Like making a decision, um, a life decision, which is basically your free, cho- your free choice. You don't know whether it's right or wrong. And then it could be wrong, and, and then consequences and punishments could come with that. Why don't you know if it's right or wrong? No, so it's very, like there's many, many, know. many things like. Right. Let's say somebody. Let's say a job opportunity, a person, marriage. Uh, you know, moving to a certain place. There are many, 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 many decisions in in a person's life, and it happens sporadically. Where you have to make a huge decision, and you might not realize how huge it is. The profession that you decide to do it, I decide to do it. The ma- the marriage partner that you decide to do it. You realize most of your major decisions is when you're dumb and young. Hey, like you don't have like yeah, you're like yeah, whatever. Let's do it, you know. And you go through like major life choices when you're when you're young and you're not, you know. So are you held responsible for the decisions that you made? I think that's what you're asking, right? Based on your own free will of when you are younger, let's say. So let's say um, you got married to somebody and it's a very difficult marriage. Or let's say you went into panasa for something, you went into a job for something, and it's a very difficult difficult uh, you know panasa. So it's very difficult for me to answer in a straight out answer, but. There, the way that it works. Let, let's speak about money because money is a very, very easy uh, answer, you know, to say. So you have, let's say, somebody that goes into a certain profession, and they go into profession, and this profession, if you look at the what is it called, salary, dot, whatever, you figure out how much salary they make. They make only fifty thousand dollars a year. That's as much as they make. And you're like, why did I do that when I was younger? Why did I go into this profession? I should have gone into something that makes more money. That has nothing. Your free will, free choice, has nothing to do with how much money you're going to make. The fact that you went to this profession doesn't matter. If you know, there are people that, let's say, for example, I know a dietitian, right? I don't know how much dietitians make, but they're not, you know, they're not raking it in as a, like a doctor's, you know, level. But yet, I know dietitians that are making a crazy amount of money, crazy amount. And then I know doctors that are making negative amount of money you know like they're they're like they're, so you it doesn't matter because of your previous decisions is that going to dispel your future and how much money you're going to make no there are people that go into profession that would think that would make them nothing and they become multi-billionaires and multi-millionaires and there are people that come into profession thinking that they're going to make so many and they're going to make nothing so it doesn't matter that aspect and even in marriage sometimes you get married to somebody and you thought that it was good and then later you find out like oh this guy has so many issues in it it's not necessarily that sometimes yes sometimes no there's no blanket answer that that can be given for that, but there, there is, you know, God that's that's overseeing everything. And even if you made a decision, and even if you made it bad, and even though you're 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 going, you need to go through that particular type of suffering. I know I'm speaking in code a lot, but if you go through the chuva process, let's say that you need. Things can be changed, the things that you think that you can never change. Things that, that your life you think is already spelled out for you, that you're going to have a tremendous amount of suffering, or that you foresee it, it doesn't necessarily mean that. There's tremendous amount of blessing that could come from any situation. Any question? Yeah. Oh, we're, we're going well. We're going, yeah, look at that. Okay, good. By the way, if anybody does, though, you don't feel like you have, there's no obligation to stay here for the questions. If you want, you're more than welcome to, but you, uh, you know, I, we do not curse anybody that leaves early or, you know, all the blessing that comes unto everybody. Yeah. So, Shabbat, you said that people get cut off, they don't keep it. So, what if someone didn't keep it when they were younger because their family was religious and then they became, like, me, whatever, I keep 
You still do so, so. So let me repeat the question because that's a good question. Let's say somebody was born and raised in a non-religious environment, and they never kept Shabbat, and then all of a sudden they became older, they became you know wiser, they started researching, they realized that it's the right thing to do, and they started keeping Shabbat. Do they have to do repentance on the previous years that they didn't keep Shabbat? And also, does that affect them in the future? Does that affect the karet, this, this suffering that comes upon a person? So yes, one person needs to do tshuva on something, even though if it was a mistake, whatever it was that they didn't know, tshuva still needs to be done. Like the saying goes, always better to be safe than sorry. Chuba is a simple process, always better to be safe than sorry. Uh, regarding the punishment that one has to go through with it, the, um, it's a, we could really go on a long time in it, and I don't, because of the late hour, I don't want to go into it, are, but. Are you well, it depends on what age. Once you become a level of, of you know, you're accepting a mitzvah, then you, do, then you are responsible for it to a certain degree. To what degree? I'm not God, I'm not God's accountant, it's all in God's hand. But what you do need to realize is that, A, you should do tshuva on it. Uh, the tshuva should be, should be fairly simple. And you, re, and you should also realize that a lot of, let's say, the suffering that you need to go through, you most likely went through it already. Because of the fact that when, you're, when somebody who never kept Shabbat started keeping Shabbat, it's very difficult. They, have to go, they go through suffering for that. They go, that already re- reduces from the suffering that they needed to go through for that. So, the, your, your question is a very, very broad question, and it all depends on the, on the thing. But in generally speaking, you do tshuva, and that's all you have to worry about. Just the tshuva part. So what if, like, the person wants to do tshuva, like, the whole life, and that they just didn't? Like, it's not suffering in itself? That somebody who wanted to keep Shabbat and they weren't able to? What does that mean that they couldn't? So it depends why not. I, I'm actually dealing with quite a few of those right now, yeah. and I can't. I can't even begin. Right. Put it this way: so when you're dealing with parent. Yes, I know exactly what you what you're talking about because I I have quite a few cases that I'm dealing with that quite a few cases I'm dealing with that they want to keep Shabbat they want to keep modesty they can't do it because their parents don't let them. What does that mean? Um, I'm going to get myself into trouble if I start speaking. If I no, but but you're still let's put it this way, you're still required. Let me keep it very 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 uh, bland. You still have a requirement that you need to follow it. You follow the Torah, not your parents. How and what and when? Reach out to me. We'll deal with it on a private, uh, you know, like conver- phone conversation. Per se, you don't. Yeah, to a certain to a certain level. Well, you don't know if you're really keeping it because there's these little. Well, you learn. Like, Once you're starting the tshuva process, you, right? So that's something that you work on. If you know the halachot, then yes. Does every single person keep everything ever? No. But it depends. If you're going and you're, and you're working on it and you're studying the laws and you buy the books on Shabbat and you read what you need to do and what you're not allowed to do, then yeah, you're keeping it. If you're not and you're just winging it, then maybe, yeah, maybe not. I don't know. If they're following the parents' footsteps, they get punished from them and the parents. If they don't, 
yeah, they're making their own bakhira, but it's not but why they're being punished. It's not it wasn't them that did it. They may not have been alive when their parents was doing it. So how are they punished for what their parents did? So first of all, everything is measure for measure. Everything in life is measure for measure. Do you get if let's say you have ancestors that did something good, do you benefit from that? You do. Avraham Yitzhak Yaakov, we pray it every time. Okay, Avraham Yitzhak Yaakov. Everything goes from measure for measure. However, when you're dealing with that, the measure that God goes is 2,000 generations for the good, but only four generations for the bad. Why is it measure for measure? Because I know good, like someone does, it's spilled into the world, they understand the same was bad. It can affect people, but like, okay, but why is someone being punished for something someone else did? The... So, so first of all, you have to define what is the punishment level that you're getting. I don't know, there could be suffering, there could be, you know, I don't know, there's struggling. So, so just like, so let's, let's first pause this because this, um, we want to clean up over here. So just like... You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.